Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Good morning. It is good to be back home. I'm going to put on my eyewear here, and it's, believe me, it's not for fashion. It is um, because as age catches up with me, a few years ago I stood here um, during the offering call, and I was reading from the sheet that they give you to do offering call, and I noticed that I had to keep doing like this. So I was like, oh, maybe it's the lights or something, you know. So over the next few times, uh, kept doing it. I said, yeah, they, they might need to get some brighter LED lights in, in the sanctuary. So over the last few years, uh, when I would wake up or I would go to sleep or, you know, with my job, I look at the computer a lot and I read a lot. So I went to the eye doctor and the, the first eye doctor I went to, they said, well, we expected you like 10 years ago, you know. I was like, what? They said, yeah, when you usually hit 40, 39, 40, you start losing a little bit, you know, and I'm well over 40. I won't tell you how old I am. Um, but then I, I didn't believe the first eye doctor, so I went to another one because I was like, they just want money. They want me to buy some glasses. So I went to get a second opinion, and the second eye doctor told me the same thing that the first eye doctor told me. It's time to get some glasses or just deal with it. So I had to get some stylish ones, though, because, you know, those little store-bought readers, eh, can't, can't do that, even though nobody's going to see them. Over the last several weeks, my wife and I, Wendy, We've been traveling um, in Florida, and, you know, the world is opening back up, or at least America is. I don't think the rest of the world is, is quite as eager or anxious to get back to business as usual as we are here in the States, you know, because as we traveled, we traveled through international airports, and usually when you come through, you see the customs area packed with people, and, and I didn't see that. But I did see people from all over eager to get back to business as usual. And while we were in Florida, we attended a conference, and uh, we had several speakers that were there, some good, some bad, but it was good to see people from all over the United States that we hadn't seen in the last year and a half, you know, and just to get out, you know, and breathe a sigh of relief to, to actually see business being done. And me personally, as a businessman, when, when everything shut down, you know, a year and a half ago, I didn't think we would get back to business as fast as it seems that we're getting back to business. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. For me and my house, we are taking it a little, a little slower. Not on the business side. We are always pedal to the metal when it comes to business because that's how I make my living. But as far as getting back to normal when it comes to the pressures of life, you know, the workflow, the going to the gym, the out to eat, the movies, the things that really don't make all that much difference to us. Now it's just Wendy and I. We're empty nesters. Our son is in the military. Our daughter's married and, and, and has a life of her own. We have grandbabies now. But we make it a point, or at least I make it a point, to slow down. I make it a point to take time to talk to my wife, to talk to friends, to call family members, to do the things I wasn't doing before COVID, Right? And, and if it means getting back to normal is that Lloyd gets so busy that I start forgetting the people that matter, 
I don't really want to get back to normal. I'd rather stay locked down. I'd rather the business go away and we go to a barter system. I actually like today. I, I, I don't typically like hymns, but I like the feel of today. It reminds me of when, you know, I was growing up and all you had was hymns. You didn't have the light show. You didn't have the, the, the big churches had that. Now almost every church is have where you have monitors and everybody can sing along on the latest whatever gospel music is out there. But that's not what I'm here to talk to you all about today. My sermon today, or the title of my sermon today, is Keep Your Distance. And for those of you that know me, no, it's not Keep Your Distance from me. Because when I first sat in the pews of this church, that's actually what I was thinking. These people need to keep their distance. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. But first, I want to take a moment to thank Pastor Marius, and I hope they're traveling well. I want to thank the elders and deacons and everybody that make up the, the leadership of Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. I want to thank you all for being here, and I want to thank those that are watching from home for allowing me to speak at Middletown. And like I said, the, the title of my message today is Keep Your Distance. Not the six feet we've been enjoying or we've been told to keep over COVID, COVID or the three feet of personal space that was the norm before COVID. I'm talking about the spiritual and literal distance the Bible tells us to keep in the last days before Christ's return. I know what you're thinking. We have Revelation and Daniel for that. But I think we have other texts as well that we know well and we don't regard as true signs of the last days. The texts that tell us to keep our distance. But first, would you pray with me? Lord God, hide me behind the cross. May the people see you in me, and may the words that I speak be your words, and may you join us here for a little while. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our message today comes from 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. If you could turn there, and when you get there, please say amen. Second Timothy three, one through nine. Now, I will use both, both first, second, um, both first and second Timothy to try and paint the picture I believe the Holy Spirit has given me. Second Timothy three, one through nine says, But know this in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, ungodly, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now Janus and John Bray's resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Now, 
I can't take credit for the sermon today. You see, I was listening to a sermon preached from this exact same text, and something stirred inside of me. Then a short time later, Wendy and I were spending time with some friends, and we were discussing the, the times we find ourselves living in, how we feel there's this general lack of compassion from the littlest things, like not letting somebody in in traffic all the way up to, or to not believing what we see on the news, or all the way up to not believing in the people that are in power. It's as if every man, woman, and child is out for self. I could read you the current numbers on crime across the U.S., and we all know that crime right here in Louisville is on the rise. We had a road rage shooting yesterday afternoon or yesterday morning right here off of Blankenbaker. But that's not what I want to talk to you all about this morning. I want to look at this from what I believe are the angles that Paul is coming from in this text. Second Timothy, some historians say, was the last book Paul wrote. Others say Paul wasn't the author because the tone and tenor wasn't the same as his other writings. Second Timothy doesn't even sound the same or have the same tone as First Timothy. But put yourself in Paul's shoes. This is his fourth time in a Roman prison. And he knows it's going to be his last. The four chapters of 2 Timothy sound to me like a man passing the torch, giving a pep talk and a cautionary tale to the next in line who's going to preach the gospel. A man who knows his days are numbered. A man who has endured much to serve Christ. A man that knows his reward is with his heavenly father. He is giving Timothy the inside scoop on those to trust and who not to trust. He sounds like a man that won't be around much longer, but not in a pitiful sort of way. Paul is saying, I gave it up my all, I fought a good fight, and I stood on sound doctrine. Most of what he writes to Timothy is about spreading the gospel and how he lost friends while he was imprisoned. Then we get to chapter 3, and he starts to caution Timothy about the last days and the perilous times to come. You must remember, for the early Christians, every day their lives were on the line. Wherever they went, wherever they traveled, they preached the gospel and put themselves in harm's way. They were guilty by association. See, it wasn't like it is today where you have Christian friends and non-Christian friends. If you weren't a believer and you didn't want to become one, you probably didn't hang around the Timothys and Pauls of the world. When I was a kid, my dad used to tell me, you are who you associate with. I didn't believe it then, but I, I believe it wholeheartedly now. And what Paul is doing over these four chapters is telling Timothy, remember what he taught him and don't fall to the smooth talkers who are only in it to gain followers and make a quick buck. Don't let them get in your head and start, and start you doubting the gospel. Now, they didn't have Instagram or Facebook back then, but they did have teachers and spiritual leaders who had followers. And some even performed miracles because much like today, People just wanted to believe in something. People wanted to belong to something. And they wanted to follow someone or something. When I was growing up, all the guys in my neighborhood played football. You know, during PE, we played football. After school, we played football. Whenever we had a chance, it was football, even if we had to play in the street. We would pick our favorite player to emulate. Mine was Walter Payton. And for those of you who don't know who Sweetness is, that was his nickname, then just Google it. He was one of the best backs in football history, if not the best player of the Chicago Bears. And he died early from a, from a kidney disease, never got to live out his total potential. You see, 
I wanted to play football so bad that I went to the neighborhood park and I signed myself up to play peewee football. I even attended practice all the way up to the first game. I don't know what I was thinking because all the games were on the Sabbath. But I didn't care. The Saturday of the first game came. I put on my pads, I put on my uniform, and I'm getting ready to walk out of the house. My mom asked me what I was doing, where I was going. I said, I'm going to the game. Well, I'm pretty sure you all know how that went. After my butt cooled off, I went in the house, and I put on my church clothes, and I went to church with my family. You see, I wanted to belong. I wanted to be part of something that everybody else was doing. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, keep your distance. And remember what he, Paul, had taught him. And to remember he was part of something greater. Not only was Paul telling Timothy what, had, what would happen in the last days, he was reminding Timothy of all that he stood for. How from childhood he knew Scripture. He knows the truth. In essence, from what I can see studying First and Second Timothy, is that Paul was a mentor giving his mentee, Timothy, final advice on what was to come. We know that Paul was Timothy's mentor, much like Christ mentored the 12 disciples and gave them the great commission and taught them to mentor all new believers. We know this from chapters 2 and 3 of, of 1 Timothy, where Paul instructs Timothy in all things on church leadership. Paul knew Timothy had a gift, a spiritual gift. 1 Timothy 4, verses 14 and 16 tell us this. The theme throughout First and Second Timothy is Paul teaching Timothy how to hone and use his spiritual gifts while keeping his distance from what we all get caught up in from time to time. First Timothy 6.21 says, Timothy, guard what has been, trusted, been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some has professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. You see, Paul knew the doctrine that the two church leaders were spreading wasn't the truth. And if discussed and pondered long enough, it would cause some to lose their faith and to lose their beliefs. And since Timothy's confidence was shook, he might be susceptible to losing his faith. So back to our opening scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. What does this have to do with the mentorship of Timothy? Well, in the opening overview of, the, of, of 2 Timothy, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with these unruly church leaders. They were teaching an alternative doctrine. Timothy was intimidated by these leaders and he struggled. So Paul had to go back to Ephesus to put down this rebellion. And he suffered at the hand of one of these leaders. And he was imprisoned. So in his mentorship of Timothy, he, he reminded him to stand strong on what he knew to be the truth what he knew to be right, because in the last days, these things would also happen to those who were alive before Christ came back. And he was just telling Timothy to keep his distance. So the true believers at this time would have to do the same thing. So just as we have the books of Daniel and Revelation to guide us and show us the, com the signs of the coming last days, we also have 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 that illustrates for us what the people of the last days will be like. And verse 5 tells us, from those people to keep our distance. Now, 
the reason I wanted to talk about this, and the reason it struck me when I heard the, the other pastor's sermon, and it actually didn't flow anything like this, and it wasn't even in this theme, is because I've read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 many, many, many times, from a young man all the way to a grown man. And it never struck me that Paul was prophesying to us today on what to look for in the people of the last days. I've always looked at Daniel and Revelation as the end-all, be-all to the signs to tell us when the last days or the time of trouble was coming. And I think that a lot of Christians, especially in Western culture, do the same. And I believe that it comes from or it stems from us assimilating into modern culture. I believe we are the people that Paul is telling Timothy to stay away from or that will be assigned to those in the last days. Not all of us, not everyone, but he is talking about church people. If you look at verse 5 in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, he's not talking about the worldly people. That's a verse specifically for us in the church. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I, I don't belong or read any of the alternative spiritual offshoot sites that we have on the fringes of, of Adventism. What I do have is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit as a guide. And, I, and me being a history buff, I know there has never been a time in world history that lies can spread at the touch of a finger or the click of a mouse and the whole world believe a lie is truth. There is a clever story that pretty much sums it up better than I can. One man named Truth and a man named Lie stood by a river outside of town. They were twin brothers. Lie challenged Truth to a race, claiming he can swim across the river faster than Truth. Lie laid out the rules to the challenge, stating that both must remove all their clothes at the count of three and dive into the freezing cold water and swim to the other side and back. Lie counted to three, but when Truth jumped in, Lie did not. As Truth swam across the river, Lie put on Truth's clothes and walked back into town dressed as Truth. He proudly paraded around town pretending to be Truth. Truth made it back to shore, but his clothes were gone and he was left naked with only Lie's clothes to wear. Refusing to dress himself as Lie, Truth walked back to town naked, and people stared and glared as Truth walked through town. He tried to explain what happened and that truth, and that he was in fact truth. But because he was naked and uncomfortable to look at, people mocked and shunned him, refusing to believe he was really truth. The people in town who, who chose to believe lie because he was dressed appropriately and looked and easier to look at, from that, that day until this, people have come to believe a lie rather than to believe the naked truth. The moral of this story and how it applies to what we are living through today is that there had always been times of deception throughout the history of mankind. That is the story of good versus evil. But largely, all of mankind had a moral compass. And no matter how hard the naked truth was to take, we faced it and we believed the truth. Now we live in a time that if what I want outweighs my morality, I will trade my morality for what I want, meaning most of society will believe or trade truth for a lie. The second perspective that I believe Paul is showing us here is mentorship. 
For decades, Western Christianity has been trying to figure out why people are leaving the church and not choosing church at all, especially our young people or the newly baptized. I truly believe it's because of mentorship. Matthew 4.19, when Christ told Peter and Andrew to put down their nets and follow him and he would make them fishers of men, that was bold. That was something a person could get behind. Not only did Christ speak boldly, he backed it up. Otherwise, why would we follow him? Christ laid out the blueprint that all disciples followed, including Paul. But for some reason, we in Western Christianity choose not to follow the blueprint. Corporations the world over have mentorship programs. Our military, if you want to get to the highest ranks, you will be mentored. All successful people I know, including myself, have mentors. But in the church, we let our talents go untapped. Our people feel uninspired. The same ideas and the same people year after year, decade over decade, are in leadership. Our children see, see the church doesn't change or evolve, so once they're old enough, they don't attend anymore. We, meaning Western Christianity, make excuses. We talk a whole lot about doctrine and ideology and getting the, and without getting the involvement of the people from a young age like Paul did. The early church saw that Timothy had a gift, and Paul took Timothy under his wing and mentored him. When Timothy struggled, they didn't give up on him. They breathed life into him. They reminded him who he was and whose he was. They also reminded him to keep his distance from all those who had alternative truths. Just imagine if each church leader... Anyone involved in any aspect of church life mentored at least one other person. Then when the time came for positions to be filled, the next in line would already be ready. Imagine if young people or the newly converted actually felt their voices were heard because they were on the board or they were elders or they were mentored by a member of church from a young age or from the moment they accepted Bible studies. When the world came knocking, how many would keep your distance from what the world had to offer? I know, I know. I know what you're thinking. Most people don't want to be involved or they don't want to volunteer. Did you know that most kids don't volunteer to join gangs? They're courted and mentored by the older kids in their neighborhood because they live in those neighborhoods. They are in in close proximity to be recruited. Even even though their parents have told them to keep their distance, how can they? What is the alternative? When you or your child went off to college, especially a secular college, the college or university didn't tell you that your child would be subject to the ideas and ideologies of the professors teaching them. When a professor sees promise in a student, they usually try and help them and set them up with an internship or work study usually with someone they know or a business they're affiliated with and know well. In essence, they're mentoring your child by association. We don't tell our children to keep their distance, or as Paul told Timothy, to remember what he knew to be truth and stand on that. I'm not knocking secular education or doing well in the business world or the military. What I'm saying is, why aren't we deliberately mentoring our children? and new believers in the church for kingdom work. So when the naysayers come, those that have an alternative view, one contrary to the word of God, 
we will not only keep our distance, we will have someone to call, someone to fall back on, someone who can remind us who we are and whose we are. Because the world tells us, they, the word tells us they will come. They are here. They are out there waiting to destroy your confidence in Christ. They teach in our schools. They are our friends, neighbors. They're all over television, iPads, laptops, cell phones. They're in every aspect of business and government. They cover our land masses. They cover every land mass on earth. You may think I'm being dramatic, and I am for effect. But only so that you will take seriously and take heed to the words of, of 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. So that when we send our Timothys out into the world, or when we go out ourselves, those of us that aren't the Pauls of the church, we, we can have those we call mentors in Christ. Those we can call on when we struggle, when we doubt, when we've been beaten down with alternative beliefs by friends, family, or coworkers. That's what I mean by we've assimilated. We are comfortable. We live with the people and are the people in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, and we don't see it. This is normal. But what about when we have questions? What about when we have doubts? Where are, are our Pauls? Where is the Paul that will write a letter or pick up the phone or send a text and tell Lloyd, this is who you are because this is who I am and you learned it from me? Now, I don't know if you know, but most people learn by, by doing. You know, you can tell them something, show it to them, and let them do it. If you do it for them, then they usually won't pick it up, and you'll keep on having to do it, right? That's what mentorship is all about. Can I, can I see a show of hands um, from people in the church that, that maybe have mentored someone else, either in church or outside of the church? Now, if we could look around and look at the pews, I know it's summertime, and this church is known for travel during the summer, and we just opened back up, so that's why a lot of people aren't here today, and a lot of our, our, our members are at Indian Creek Camp. But if we look at the pews of this church, I've been attending this church almost 16 years, and one of the reasons I think the Holy Spirit prompted me to, to, to write this was because I was mentored when I came to Middletown. I was a 35-year-old man when, when I came to Middletown. And, but for the people in the pews of the church that took an interest in me, they chose to mentor me and see how raw I was in the faith, I wouldn't be standing in front of you today. And I've said that many times, and I thank you. I thank you, and I truly believe that those people will receive a, a giant, hopefully, diamond <laughs> in their crown in heaven, so big that their head won't even be able to, to wear it. They'll just sit it on the mantle, so when I come over, they can say, Lord, that's you right there. Because I was in trouble. As a young man, I was in trouble. As a grown man, I was in trouble. I was the people in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. I wasn't in church. I, I didn't profess to be a Christian. I was very much in the world and, and looked at the success of what men had in the world is my litmus of what I wanted to be until I came and sat in these pews and was mentored. First, unwillingly, 
and then willingly. And now I try and mentor other young men and women. But I, I, I read a lot of books on why our kids leave our churches, and not just the Seventh-day Adventist church. It's an epidemic in Western culture that Americans and Europeans don't want to go to church, don't believe in church, don't believe in God, and it is, it is becoming vastly wider. And if we don't do something about it, we can look around and the little kids that we see in church with us today will not be with us tomorrow. The people we see sitting next to us in church today will not be with us tomorrow. And for some of you, that may be okay. But not, not for me. When I joined an organization, I started out by telling you all about our travels over the last two weeks. When my wife and I decided to, to buy a business and get involved in the organization that, that we're involved in today, we gave 150%. We jumped feet first. We burned the ships. There's no parachute. We're going all in. And God blessed us immensely, more than I can even fathom. But along the way, people saw fit to mentor me because I knew nothing about business. I had a plan. I had the want. I had the know-how. But I didn't know what I was doing. And God sent me mentors. God sent me a mentor in the form of Tony Moore, sitting right here in this church, to tell me to go after my dreams when I would have lunch with him and complain and complain about the job that I was in. He said, well, just do it. Go and do it. When most people were like, oh, man, you don't want to do that. You're making good money. Stay where you're at. He believed in me and believed I could do it. And after I did it, when the struggles and the trials and the errors and the spending a lot of money not to make any money came and I, I would come back to him, he gave me a spiritual approach and outlook on business and leading people. I have mentors that aren't Seventh-day Adventists. They're Christians. And if you're a Christian, I, I recommend you get a Christian mentor, not a worldly mentor, because everybody sees things differently, right? But my Christian mentor, who's in business, also says, well, Lord, you, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it that way. But I say that to say, why wait until our children are grown to then find a way to get them back into church when you can get them a mentor in church to grab them by the hand and walk with them like Paul did through the struggles of life? Now, you might say, well, man, that guy, he has it all together. Sharp dresser, he looks good. Somebody mentored his kids. No. Mm -mm. I tried to do it myself. And it doesn't work. Doesn't work, parents. Now, some of you are successful and your children end up just like you and, and still attend church, and, but that's, that's few and far between. Most kids don't want to hear anything that parents have to say after a certain age. But if your buddy told them the exact same thing, what happens? They listen. So why not let the buddy be the mentor if he's rooted and grounded in Christ? At least I know my buddy. Because guess what, folks? The world is providing mentors. Let me say that again. The world is providing mentors. So when our daughters come home with the clothes we don't like to wear, who do you think mentored them? 
when our sons pick up smoking weed or drinking or, or doing any number of things that young men can do, who do you think mentored them? And then we, we pray. We get on our knees and we pray and we talk to everybody in church. I don't know what happened. I raised them in a good home, right? I know that's what my parents said about me. But you forgot. You forgot the blueprint. Christ said, throw down your nets, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then he spent the next three years doing what? Mentoring the disciples. Because he knew he was leaving soon, so I have to give you a crash course in what it means to follow me and to be me on earth. And then when he left, he didn't just leave them. He didn't just ascend to heaven and leave them to their own wits and their own doing. He said, when I leave, I will, I will send you a comforter. Meaning I will fill you with my spirit so you can continue. They didn't get power until that spirit came. So if you all have the same Bible that I have, and they didn't take that part out of the Bible, as I was growing up in church, I missed that part. I didn't get, I didn't get one. Of, I didn't get a mentor. I didn't, I didn't get that person that said, hey, Lloyd, instead of going there, come do this with me Saturday night. Instead of watching that, let's watch this instead. What I got was we don't watch movies. We don't wear that. We don't do this. We don't eat that. How does that work, folks? It doesn't. So, I appreciate, I appreciate the pastor and I appreciate you all for allowing me to speak, but most importantly, I appreciate the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what it was to be able to stand in a church and, and speak to somebody and how pastors came up with their sermons. I didn't, wow, I didn't, I, I couldn't even fathom it. I do speak in front of people from time to time, and usually it's pretty easy. I can write a few bullet points down and flow off the top of my head. It's, it's, it's very simple. But when you're speaking to a congregation or you're speaking to a church, it, it's, the Holy Spirit doesn't allow that. At least for me, it doesn't. First, I pray when the pastor asks me to speak, because usually I have a bunch of other topics I can speak about. But I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to talk to the people about? And this topic, I was trying to avoid because I don't think in, in church, and especially the Adventist church, we don't want to hear this. I think we talk a good game about keeping our kids and keeping members in church, but we don't want to give up our positions in order to keep them. Let me say that again. We don't want to give up our positions or our status in order to keep the next generation. I can't mentor you and then hold on to my position. I have to mentor you, and before you're ready, like Jesus did the disciples, I have to step out of the way and let you take my place. Because with mentorship, there is a certain trial that shows you you're ready. It's not for me to tell you you're ready. You have to go through the trial in order to be ready, just like all of us have. 
So, with that being said, what are the things to look for in those people in the last days? Evil, haughty, liars, slanderers, blasphemers. Now, how many of you have seen those walking around the streets of Louisville? They don't just come out and tell you that's what they are, do they? But if I'm rooted and grounded in the truth, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, we all know a few liars. We all know a few slanderers. We all know a few proud and boastful people. We all know people that love money and status, right? And here's the kicker. Here's the, here's the thing that, that, that makes, that wraps it all into one and lets you know that this is prophecy. If when you try to present truth to that person and they denounce it and counter with a lie, what should you do? Keep your distance. Thank you. 